0: Welcome to Tech States, our interview series at the Bennett Institute that sets out to explore the complex, exciting and at times concerning relationship between government, politics and digital and new technologies. The uptake and usage of technology by any part of a state can reflect and often amplify that state's specific ambitions and desires for the future. And that's one of the reasons why on tech states, we want to hear from public functionaries, both from different countries and political systems, and that occupy a variety of different roles. So today, I'm rather far from the fens of Cambridge. I'm in Israel, and we're going to hear about digital government and the emergence of a govtech sector here. My interviewee, Shaili Spiegelman, couldn't be better placed to talk about these themes as she's CEO of Digital Israel, the digital government team established by the Prime Minister just over four years ago. In the discussion that follows, I speak to Shaili about cross-ministerial collaboration, about digital talent pipelines for the public sector, about the growth of the Israeli digital health market, and about the challenges and opportunities for startups to work with the state. Needless to say, the Bennett Institute is a space for debate and the perspectives of our interviewees don't necessarily reflect our own views. Shaili, we're currently in Bnei But just down the road in Tel Aviv is what for many people and by many measures is considered the cradle of one of the most successful and innovative high tech sectors globally. And I'm wondering the extent to which when Digital Israel was founded, that role of the high tech sector had an influence on the decision by the prime minister's office to found Digital Israel.
1: Well, thank you, Tanya. Hi, good morning. Yes, definitely this was a major part of the decision because we uh, Israel is the startup nation as you mentioned, and we're very strong, but somehow we couldn't see all of that DNA in the government. So all this creative entrepreneurship innovation did not appear in, in the government, and we thought there need to be a centralized unit to make sure that all that innovation and, and all that creativity comes into the government and change the government and transform the government. So the private sector had a very important transformation digital transformation but that revolution wasn't strong enough in the government so major part of our role is to be a bridge between the startup nation and the government and the public sector in general so how you bring innovation into the government and how you uh, leverage the startup nation into the israeli government
0: and in 2014 when digital israel was established what were some of the foundational ambitions for the office
1: well, we were established in the Prime Minister's office and then moved to the Ministry of Social Equality. The idea was that we can leverage the digital revolution into basically three main goals narrowing social economic gaps, promoting economic growth, and making our government smarter and actually friendlier for the citizens. So these were the three main goals or incentives, how you take this major advantage that digital capabilities bring to change the way the government provide their services and products.
0: And so Digital Israel is now 4 years old more or less. Yes. I'm wondering what are some of the main projects that you're particularly proud of that Digital Israel has achieved.
1: Wow, there's so many. <laughs> we don't have enough time. <laughs> That's uh, a good um, thing. <laughs> maybe I will just in a brief, say how we work, and that will explain, and then I'll give two agra- examples. I think that will make sense. So we have made, I guess, two different roles. One is to build capabilities in other ministries in the government, meaning uh, help them become more digital. In that regard, we're working with few ministries that the government decided. Ministry of Health, Education, Welfare, Economy, Justice, And now we'll start with the Tax Authority and Social Security. So when we're working with these ministries, we're trying to help them build their own capabilities. So there are tens of projects from digital health or digital education, working in how you work in classroom and change the way the teacher teach to telemedicine in healthcare and other things in other ministries. So there's a lot of projects there that we are very proud of. And the ministry is actually uh, made major advancement in the last four years since we are established. The other role is to lead projects that are usually, or initiatives that are usually cross-ministry. So there's no one clear owner. And there we're leading things that are horizontal to the government. So I can think of uh, maybe two or three projects we led in the last four years that are really impactful and meaningful. So one of them I would think of Campus, which is our national platform. We actually developed a national platform for, e- for MOOCs or for e-learning based on Open edX. And now we are providing courses to open free massive courses to, from higher education courses from all the major universities in Israel to English to ultra-orthodox and Hebrew to our minorities and SAT uh, preparation courses and high school courses, teachers' trainings, doctors' training. So there's a ton of courses. Of, it's just in a pilot phase, but we're going to launch it in the end of the year. Hundreds of thousands of users. And this is a major initiative that's actually changed the way we provide education, content, and training in the public sector. So this is one example. The other example I would just say is our we led the government resolution to promote digital health as the next growth engine for the economy. So I would say this is two examples of things we're doing. There's tens other great initiatives as well.
0: They're both very impressive examples and let's come back to the digital health one. One thing that's interesting in both the methods that you use is that there's a strong emphasis on cross organizational collaboration. And I think one of the greatest challenges across digital government teams globally is exactly that, the challenge of working across departments, across ministries. And in the UK context, of course, this was one of the areas for which our government digital service actually came under fire. They were very good at explaining a lot of what they did to the public, but possibly less so across departments and ministries. And so I'm just wondering how you go about working with other departments here and whether it works
1: Well, yes, I agree. This is one of the major challenges. Government in general works in silos and do not know how to work cross-ministry or cross-government. And this is in our era where citizens do not care if you are under the ministry of that or the ministry of this. They want to have services, end-to-end services. This is a major, major thing that government needs to learn how to do. So what we're doing, and actually we got a lot of, uh, we had a lot of learning from GDS, from the good things and the not as good things, is we try first to create very strong partnership. We provide the funds to the ministries, which also help them want to cooperate with us. We perceive this neutral because our only agenda is to promote digital services. So when we, we have, for example, a digital health Resolution. We partnered with the Ministry of Health, of course, and Min- Prime Minister's office, the Innovation Authority, Ministry of Economy, Ministry of Finance, Higher Education Council, and I hope I haven't forgot anyone. All of them had their own incentive, uh, uh, all of them had their own interest in that resolution from promoting the healthcare system to promoting market and companies to promote research. So each one of them had their own unique perspective. And we came neutrally, relatively neutrally that we only wanted to promote digital services and products and markets. And that helped us gain a lot of trust from the different ministries and help them cooperate between, with us and between themselves. I think Israel managed in, Digital Israel managed in the last four years to build trust with different ministries, work closely with five or six different ministries, as I mentioned before, and for the last two or three or four years, building together good products and services and help that ministry to promote their own work. So after building that trust, it was easier to help them help us partner and break these silos. I think also ministries understand the importance of partnerships. They just usually have, it's hard for them to partner, but there's no, third organization that helped them in that process. And that's where we come in.
0: And I know that part of your approach is to put chief digital officers within ministries. And I'm wondering how important that is to have a direct conduit between digital Israel and the specific ministry. Yes.
1: At some point very early, you realized that, A, that we need someone in the ministries to help us help them do the work. Or do the transformation they needed, but also we realized that that function as chief digital officer of a ministry is a critical function that is missing. So they, in Israel at least, there were some gaps between the IT or the CIO of the ministry and the business people in that ministry. So lack of information and partnership between that these in some of the ministries between these organizations, and we thought there was need to be a centralized position that understand technology and can speak technology and with the CIO, but also can understand the business side and can translate between business and IT or technology and doing all that with the eye on the citizen or the m- business or making sure that all the citizens rights are are kept. So that function was really critical, both for the ministry itself to me- be sure to be able to do the transformation in that ministry, but also for us, as you mentioned before, as our proxy in that office. So I think this was a very good decision to do. We already have chief digital officers in most of the ministries we're working with. They are very valuable in that ministry and provide a lot of value to the the director general and the different people in the ministry, but also provide us a lot of value and also manage... To help with the partnership because they partner between themselves, and we are having like meetings between all the digital leaders in the different ministries together, like a monthly meeting. So now we know what other ministries know what's going on in other ministries, and that helps cross information between the different ministries and make sure that we're doing that two ministries are not doing the same projects, at the same time and not knowing on different projects and not sharing information. So, this also helps sharing
0: information, sharing project, sharing initiatives. So there's a lot of function to that role. Also, I guess, creating cross-government institutional memory around digital topics that can then be used for learning lessons yes. to take forward. It's very interesting. I think the, what you mentioned about the CDOs performing a kind of translator role is very interesting. And I'm wondering then what kinds of backgrounds the people who take on those roles typically come from.
1: First, in our era, it's diverse. So I can't say on a specific background because it changes between different ministries and different person. He definitely needs, I would say, something about like a product manager. So he needs to have technology background and understand technology and maybe have some experience in technology or digital projects, hopefully best in the private sector so they understand technology and digital, but also understand the business side and with strong business understanding and experience. So there are senior people who have both technology background and also business, hopefully uh, preferably from that ministry. So someone in the healthcare with experience from healthcare or someone from in education with experience from education. But also they usually have like interdisciplinary other qualities and experience. Also people Person so they need to be able to work without authority because they don 't have formal authority, but they need to manage to work with all the different VPs in that ministry and help them and convince them to move and let them be involved in their project so soft skills is very important, technology background, business background, diversity interdisciplinarity so it 's very unique person that can do that role I think it 's more or less what product managers are because they have to do the integration an orchestration between the different from thinking about data and uh, customer journey to technology to processes. So they have all these different capabilities and functions they need to be able to coordinate and and orchestrate.
0: It's a very special skill set to have. Yes, but there are people who can do that. (laughs) Actually, the human capital dimension is often very challenging for digital government teams. And Israel is interesting in this respect because one of the reasons that the Israeli high-tech sector is thought to be so successful is because it has a technological pipeline provided by the IDF, not least. So, for example, the cyber industry has greatly benefited from elite technological units in the IDF, such as 8200 and Tel Piot. So clearly there isn't a deficit of technological talent here, as perhaps there might be in other contexts. But I'm wondering what some of the challenges are for you in terms of recruiting digital talent to come to work in the public sector. So, whether that's in Digital Israel or in a CDO or product manager role in one of the other ministries. And how do you attempt to overcome that challenge?
1: I will start and say that when we started to do this, the Digital Israel strategy or the government digital strategy, we realized there are three main horizontal barriers that we need to think of. One of them was human resources, and I will talk about that in a minute. The second one was procurement, which we found out was a really meaningful barrier. And the third was regulation. So we realized that we in Digital Israel need to deal with all the three different barriers because they will meet us in every ministry, in every project we're going to do. In terms of human resources, we actually have two or three different things we're thinking of and doing. A, we realized that we need to train also the people in the ministries and the civil servants, because they need to know how to lead change in in the the digital era. They need to know how to lead and manage digital projects and initiatives. Almost every service or product government provide these days have a digital angle to it. So they must understand what is digital, what is data, what is customer journey, what is all these new trends that that are coming and how they can be integrated in their work. So we initiated a training called Digital Leaders, which we actually took senior people. We are now in the third cohort, the third year. We took senior civil servants, about 40 each year, from different ministries, for different players in the government. And they sign up for a one-year course. It's on-the-job training, so about 20 or 25 days during the year when they learn how to lead how to be digital leader. This was very successful, not only for their knowledge and experience, and now going after that course, they're going back to their ministries and the daily work, and they see different things with different perspectives, but also to create for digital Israel, um, digital Israel ambassadors in the different ministries that help us. So one answer to your question is we have to do training to civil servants and so not technology people at all, but they need to understand because Digital is not technology. It's the way we provide our services and products to the citizens of, the, of Israel. The second thing we realized we need to start to recruit a lot of the new professions, data scientists. A lot of data scientists. A lot of people think about customer journey or customer needs. That people f- from psychology or anthropology background that are not technology people, they are not civil servants. People who know how to do processes and how to rethink, redesign processes. All these new capabilities and professions that the government did not have, so because in the past we didn't need them and they weren't existing at all, now are here. So we are now working on a central tender with the Ministry of Finance to help ministries recruit these kinds of new professions, and we want to make sure that each ministry, that when it design its new service or product, has these people at work with him designing that process. So from people thinking of data and decisions based on data to people think of the user needs and do usability and user needs and user tests, which Israeli government at least didn't do until recently, and so on and so forth. So the second thing we're doing is to make sure how we can recruit and work with consultants on that profession easily and with market prices. So this is the second thing we do. And the third is, as we mentioned, bringing digital CDOs into the ministries. So this is a comprehensive solution. And now we're actually building more and more strategies into that, maybe opening a hub, working with startups and accelerators. So we have different other different solutions that we're thinking of. But this is one of the major, major things we need to do if we want to make sure that the government goes through that transformation and not just digital Israel, the entire government.
0: And how do you incentivize, say, a data scientist to come to work for the state, than for example, going to a tech giant? Well,
1: I don't know yet. <laughs> or a startup. A, we convinced our civil servants authority to pay, I wouldn't say as much as the private sector pays, because these days, there's a lack of data scientists, and it's expensive everywhere, everywhere, but at least pay a reasonable salary that it's making sense for th- someone like that to come. So we're working on that. And I think there is a big understanding in our civil servant authority that they need to provide new solutions if you want to bring these kinds of people. Second, we provide we invite them to come for like res- military reserve. So come for a year or two years. You don't have to come for, until you are retired at 65. You can come to do like two years in the government. That person will get a lot of experience. Because the amount of data there is in the government probably doesn't compare to anything else in the private sector, so they can gain a lot of experience and deal with very complex data issues. And on the other hand, I can contribute to the government or to the country and you know do something which is meaningful and with impact, with social impact. And after two years, they can go back to the private sector and and get whatever they want in Google or Facebook or private sector companies. Um, I think we can bring a few people. I don't know how many, but we're still working on it. But uh, we learn as we go.
0: I think relatedly, another approach that distinguishes digital Israel from GDS, for example, is that from the outset, if I'm right, there was a dual emphasis here, both on product development within the state, but also nurturing a govtech sector. So startups working with government as client uh, that could serve Israeli government and contribute to economic growth by producing products and services for other markets as well. So that's something we're really just beginning in the UK at the moment. Why did that dual approach seem to digital Israel important from the get-go?
1: Yes, as I mentioned, we had three main goals. So narrowing social economic gaps, makes sense, but also promoting economic growth. And if you want to promote economic growth, you have to think about the economy. That goes hand by hand. So from the start, this is one of the goals that we were trying to do. And also we understood that if we have a very strong GovTech market or GovTech economy, that will help the government be more innovative. So the more we have people understanding GovTech and providing solutions and products and services outside of the government, the more that will influence also inside the government. So we thought that makes sense. We actually did a few things around that. We launched a fund together with the Innovation Authority that actually sponsor or provide funds to startups in the GovTech area, from education to smart cities, healthcare, transport, transportation, and so on. We actually this now recently launched our third fund. We already sponsored about I guess a hundred startups, which is cool in the first two funds and now we received almost over 200 applications for this third round which we haven't processed yet and haven't chose yet but uh, we will choose very cool companies so from fund to fund and from year to year there are more applications and more startups and what we learned from that is that it's working so more companies are initiated in that area which is great because this is exactly what we wanted to do. So this is great. We also provided the fund because we understand these are areas where it's hard to get funding. Exits are not as clear. Yeah. The sales cycle is very long when we work with governments. So we understand th- this is, can be a market failure. And if the government would not provide sponsorship and funds and that market failure, that market will not succeed. So we as a government usually interfere in the market where there are market failures. In this regard, it wasn't a failure, but there were... Barriers for the market to to fly, so uh, that fund is starting and now. We're doing some other stuff, for example, in our digital health government resolution, we sponsor not only startups we also sponsor pilots. So we provide funds for companies in the healthcare that wants to do a pilot in the Israeli health organization. So the criteria is that an Israeli company with an Israeli health organization, when they want to do a pilot in a hospital on an HMO in Israel, we will provide funds for that pilot for the startup, but also for the health organization to incentivize the health organizations to work with these startups. So we do other stuff in promoting that market because again, in the digital health market, we realize there is a barrier for, health organization to partner with startups and do these pilots because it's very expensive this is not the day job of the the HMOs and the hospitals and if if we want to make sure that startups do pilots here and not in the US or UK we have to give provide incentives to both the health organizations and the startups to partner together and this is part of the government solution that I mentioned and it's actually uh There's a lot of interest around that as well.
0: So part of the success of cyber was getting academia and the business community and government all to work together and to kind of foster a broad based ecosystem. To what extent is part of the strategy for uh, developing the digital health agenda also to go about that?
1: Exactly the same strategy. We learned a lot from what have done very successfully, actually, in the cyber and yes. Uh, so, as I mentioned, part of the government resolution is the Council of Higher Education because they are in charge of all universities and research, and they provide a lot of fund. We actually launched a sixty million dollar fund together with Digital Israel and Ministry of Finance and the Council for Higher Education, but also with private philanthropic organizations to provide funds to researchers in the area of digital health, so specifically for digital health. So yes, also provide working with academia and research, major role in that resolution, working, as I said, with startup through the Innovation Authority and the Ministry of Economy, working with health organizations through the Ministry of Health. So yes, the idea of creating an ecosystem that is more than the sum of the parts is critical. So we are trying to work with all the different players in that market also with multinational companies that come to Israel, also with pharma companies. So we are trying to work with all the different players in that ecosystem. Also, we're going to launch an innovation community for meetups and challenges and hackathons and things to stimulate the ecosystem. So yes, the idea is to create a very strong ecosystem here that will, by itself, in a few years, will create a larger and larger market and attract a lot of uh, talent and companies and global companies and global researchers and investors so yes ecosystem is a major part of that and we're working we actually did a lot of research on we who are all the major players that needs to be considered in such a government resolution and they're
0: all part of that resolution and why did health specifically for israel seem the next place to go to following cyber
1: wow this is a good question we are always considering what will be the next growth engine or the next Thing Israel needs to be invested on. And there's a lot of things we're thinking on, also automotive cars, for example, and there's also some work on that regards. We were looking for things that Israel has unique assets. Israel is a small country. We can do everything, and we're not good in everything, but we have unique assets. So in healthcare, we had the following assets A, we have a very, very strong and comprehensive database of clinical health records. We have only four HMOs in Israel. Ninety-nine percent of the population are in these HMOs, so cover all the population from birth to death. Somewhere back in the nineties, someone make a decision, made a decision to start collecting digital health records. So now we have about thirty years of digital health records for the entire population. Over thirty years for everything they've done. So uh, this is very unique. From other countries, so we have very strong databases uh, that we can leverage and use and open. We have strong people in data science, AI, analytics. Israel is very strong, and that cyber is the same needs the same capabilities and qualities. And we have from going from out of the army, as you mentioned before, but also from universities and in general in, in the industry. So this is an area when Israel, where Israel is strong, we. Also have diverse genetic backgrounds, so people. A lot of this is an immigration country, so people from different regions of the world came to Israel. So if you take a small, better state country with strong digital health records, with genetic diverse genetic backgrounds, with the startup nation and the capabilities, together we thought that this is an area when we can actually score. So uh, it's starting. There's already 400 startup companies in that area, which is quite a lot but hopefully in five years we'll know more if we actually succeeded or not it looks promising.
0: To take a step back for a moment if I'm a startup what are some of the challenges surrounding procurement and tenders and perhaps also culture if you're coming to work with government as a client? Well for startup it's
1: almost impossible to work with government I guess all over the world as I hear uh, from other countries yes procurement issues are a nightmare for startups they don't understand government language at all. So they don't know, even if they are fit for that tender, they don't know how to answer that tender. Usually the criteria are very strong. And I think that startups, if the government usually seek for experience, three years experience or 10 customers or whatever, because the government wants to be sure that they hire a supplier that can do the work. On the other hand, startups usually are new. They don't have that, background of customers and and success stories. Government wants insurance, government wants, you know, guarantees, all these kind of things that startups, they don't know how to do. They don't even know how to, you know, read a tender with uh, 20 pages and all the legal work around that. And then when they come to work with the government, the pace in the government is very slow. Government is bureaucratic. The pace and the time it takes to make changes and to implement a product, by that time, the startup can either do an exit or, Oh, close their offices. So in government time, six months is almost nothing. In startup life is everything. So it's really hard. What we're trying to do is to help startups work with uh, government, with our government, because we think it's very important for them to work with the government. And it's very important for the government to work with startups to be able to change more rapidly and get all the new and innovative thoughts and thinking into the government work. So we issued something called the challenge tender, or challenge tenders, because we had a few already. The idea is that until recently, government knew how to uh, tender a solution. So I need X, or I need 10 computers, or I need an application to do X, but they don't know how to tender a challenge. So in some cases, you know what the challenge is, you're not sure what the solution is. For example, diabetes in kids there's a major problem with diabetes and kids we don't know what the solution is would it be an app would it be a software would it be i don't know something else or supervising construction sites we know we have a problem with that but it could be you can use drones but you can use applications or data analysis you can do a lot of different things you know what the problem we want you know where you want to get but you don't know what the solution is so we issued a few challenge changes when we and it's specifically for startups, so when you say to the startup, "Hey, this is my challenge," as I said, uh, diabetes with kids, please provide possible solutions out of the twenty, thirty, forty startups that actually apply to that solution, we choose few, three, four, five to do a pilot or proof of concept, so at the first stage, you don't have to prove or don't have to do like scale nationwide solution with." startups usually can't. They have to do only the proof of concept. So we give them one hospital or one area or one construction site or whatever the, the challenge is, and they do the proof of concept. And only out of these companies that succeed with the proof of concept, we create a long-term agreement under that t- tender, which helps us do f- a few things. First, work with startups, because we start with proof of concept, we start small, we start with a few, we start with things we haven't thought of, that the solution may be something we didn't think of when we issued the tender. Second, we pay only for success. So we do pay for the proof of concept, but we do scale only for something that actually succeeded. So government pay for success, which is a new model for government and don't pay for resources, but actually for th- something they see it's working and they know how it's going to work, which is great for the government. And it also helps startups work with government and, and start small stuff with the proof of concept. Maybe the product is not finalized yet, but they can develop it during the proof of concept. We did a few already, I think four or five, and it's a major success. It's, it cannot solve everything that we want to do, but in some cases this is a great solution. How can government work with startups?
0: I can see how it's also a strategy for mitigating risk aversity in government. Governments often don't like to take too much risk and actually this way, where as you say, you're paying for success or paying for some indicator of success enables government to work with startups, but also take away that dimension to a great degree. Exactly.
1: So it's a win-win for both the startup and the government and Through that process, we're managing to actually work with startups and everybody gained from that.
0: So digital government overall on a global scale is still quite young. It's still quite a new area. And Israel is part of the D7 group of countries. And I'm wondering the extent to which it's helpful for you working in digital government to have that network of countries and other digital leaders with which to speak and share ideas.
1: Well, it's great, actually. We were part of the original D5, which actually UK initiated back in, I think, uh, 2014. And now we're at the D7 because we added two countries and next year we're going to add two more are going to be the D9. Which is maybe not a very good name, but um, <laughs> it is what it is. For us, it's very important. Actually, next week I'm going to the UK for a meeting with the D5 countries and all the, D5, the D7 countries and all the D9 ministries will come to Israel end of November. I think it's very important where you have... A forum that you can share information, ask questions, very informal, very immediate. So what we learn is, A, most governments have the same challenges. So we all deal with digital rights these days because it's very unclear what are the digital rights for citizens and what they need to do. We all deal with healthcare or digital health. We all deal with uh, citizen-centric solutions and how you put citizens in the center, how you do ask once or end-to-end solutions. We all deal with uh, identification. So for digital identification for services, you want to do digital, but you want to make sure that you are the person who's coming to you who is the right person. How do you identify them? So most governments in these areas have the same challenges or most advanced com- countries, which help us Actually, cooperate, share information on the same problems, and get ideas from different countries. I can share that uh, some of the Gov UK open source code that the GDS developed, we actually used it or enjoyed the work they've done in Israel in our GovIL website or portal. So we share information, we share code in some cases, we share best practices, and for us, it's a big. Win and be a big advantage to be part of that
0: forum. You mentioned some of the common challenges and solutions, but actually, the D7 group of countries is rather diverse, both politically and demographically. And I'm wondering the extent to which some of the differences of context actually come into play when you're talking about digital strategies.
1: Yeah, well, it's good because each country has their own unique perspective and own unique advantage. So, Israel is very strong as a startup nation, as you said, and, ad- and healthcare. And Estonia is very good in government services and everything is digital there in the government services. And so each country has their own unique perspective and unique value to that group, which is great. Otherwise, if we all been the same, it wouldn't be very interesting. So, yes, we get different perspective and different ideas how to deal with digital challenges. On the other end, no matter what country, what size, we all deal with the same challenges and more every year, new challenges. So now it's blockchain or AI or you know uh, digital rights and data. The issues we started four years ago are not the same issues we have now. And it's every year it, it's evolving and it's good that this forum is very flexible in terms it open for new ideas and new subjects. It's not very formal diplomacy forum, but very agile digital forum which we change our issues, we change the things we want to focus in based on what's coming. So by now we change a lot of the issues and every year we consider from scratch what we want to focus on. So yes, we are diverse but eventually
0: most of the countries have the same challenges. This leads to my final question. At the Bennett Institute, but also more broadly across the university, we have a lot of students who are interested in going into careers in public policy. And I'm wondering what you think is most important for them to know and what skills it's most important for them to have as they go forward and become policymakers in a digital age.
1: Wow. I would say there's no one thing that is important because government today reflects society. So whatever is important for society, is important in the government we are trying here, Digital Israel at least, to use private sector capabilities and skills and not be like a conservative civil servant. So whatever works in the private sector, you need to be team player. You need to be able to do cross functions, uh, collaboration. So collaboration, team player, think quickly, think strategically, high level thinking and all that thing that's very important. When I work for Microsoft, also for me in my perspective, important for the public sector and this is what I'm looking at people that are coming work for me. So usually these kind of qualities we are looking here in the government, at least in Israel. So I think they need to have patience. (laughs) (laughs) Government, as I did the transformation from the private sector, is not an easy transformation. You have to understand how large organizations work and you have the stamina on one hand, but the patience to work with bureaucratic organizations, the willingness to change and fight for the things you believe in, which is important. Things that are very easy in the private sector are not as easy in the public sector. And you have to be ready for that and to know what you're coming for. Some mornings when I, you know, it's really hard to understand why we are here. I realized that I came here because I knew it's going to be hard. If it was so easy and it was the same as working for Microsoft, I shouldn't have come, you know, they wouldn't have need me or other people to do it. But I came because it was hard. I came because I wanted to change the government. I came because I wanted to do good policy. I came because I wanted to contribute to my country. That's why I came.
0: When we think of digital transformation, patience is not always the first word that comes to mind. So I think that's a good note to end on. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for coming.